but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Welcome to the program, Rogue Grace. It is a warm and beautiful Thursday morning here in the Rogue Valley. What, 91 degrees today? Wow. And uh, this is Peter John with you. I just read to you from the book of Acts in Paul's final words to the Christian brothers and sisters that we have recorded before he journeys or makes his way to Jerusalem and then to Rome where the book of Acts concludes. His final words. He, he's speaking these words to his brothers and his sisters. Essentially, his brothers, these elders in Ephesus, as he is saying goodbye to them, they came out and met him as he's making his journey down to Jerusalem. He is speaking with these leaders, these elders, not in Ephesus, but in a town called Miletus. And they came from Ephesus and met him there. And, and his final words, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I love that. I just want to be able to say like Paul, I want to, this guy, Pete, I'm not accounting my life as anything in and of itself precious, extraordinary, valuable, it, in and of itself, I only want to be able to say that I might, that I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So you might wonder, Pete, how can you come on the radio every single day and talk about the grace of God. Because today might be my last day. Yours too. You don't know, neither do I. I've come pretty close, in fact, to having my last day. So I want my last day, my last days, the rest of my days to be like Paul and saying, I testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So yeah, that includes talking about how lost the world is. We were, sinners are, apart from the grace of God, but the gospel is that we are saved by the grace of God through Christ Jesus. 
I'm going to keep saying that, speaking that, and sharing that message because like Paul, I want to be able to say myself, my life, my legacy, I don't know, not of any value in and of itself, but that I may finish my course, that I might finish the ministry, testifying of the gospel of the grace of God. So if you wonder why I talk about God's grace and the gospel of the grace of God, it's because I want to finish like Paul was able to say, my course Not counting my life precious, but preaching the gospel. I bet you want that too. I bet that's in your heart. So take no thought for tomorrow. Jesus taught us. Today has enough evil of its own. He told us. So on this hot May day, May day, may you preach the gospel of the grace of God, like our dear brother, the Apostle Paul.
Now that's a cool, that's a great song. After all, the subject is grace. Paul's final words that we have written, probably shortly before his death, as he says in this particular letter, as he's writing to Timothy, probably is in his second prison stint in Rome. The first he gets released. He's back in Rome again a few years later under arrest once more, under a much more hostile environment than the first time. And he will be put to death. His final words that we have recorded. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 22. He writes, The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Paul's final sentence. Written in the Bible. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. That's what he's saying to his protege, his student, Timothy. And that's his final word to him. And that's what he's saying to you and me as well. I love that. The Lord be with your spirit. Oh, that's my prayer for you today. That's my prayer for us. Because the Lord is with you. He's with your body. He's everywhere. So he's where you are physically. The Lord is with you. He's with your soul. That's in your mind and in your thoughts. But he's also with your spirit. Beyond your emotions. Beyond your consciousness beyond your thought process the Lord be with your spirit and in that place that holy of holies so to speak not the outer court which is your body not even the inner court which is your mind or your consciousness but in the holy of holies the Lord be with your spirit. I like how he starts the book of Second Timothy as well. When he writes to his, his young girl, protege, his, his son in the faith, so to speak, he, he begins the letter Second Timothy. He begins by writing to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father. In every other letter, Paul begins, as you know, grace and peace to you, except for this one. Oh, by the way, in Galatians 2, he doesn't begin with grace and peace to you, dear brothers, because they were so legalistic. He just rips right into him right away. <laughs> if you have to put if any of Paul's letters, you, you might say, you could say it was his letter to the Galatians. As much as we love it because it speaks so much of God's grace, it was the tone of it 
was the harshest to a church that thought they were so religious. Not to the Corinthians, who were partying and suing, but to the Galatians, who thought that they had their act together. They were circumcised. Legalistically, they had it made. He doesn't begin with grace and peace. But most of his letters, he begins writing the letter by saying grace and peace. But in 2 Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace. <laughs> he knows this guy, Timothy, not does not just need grace and peace. He also needs mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. Don't give me what I deserve, Lord. Don't ever demand of God, Lord, I deserve something more than this. I Give me what I deserve. No, don't, don't do that. No, say, God, do not give me what I deserve. Give me what I don't deserve. That's what grace is. So grace, mercy, and peace. That's what Paul says to Timothy. That's what God, God's word says to us today. Usually Paul begins his letters, as you know, simply by saying grace and peace. Grace, charis, in the Greek language. Unmerited, undeserved favor. That's why it's called favor. Do me a favor, we say, right? That means um, don't do it because you have to, or you're obligated to, or because I deserve it. (laughs) So when we say, God, show me favor, we're not saying do it, God, because you have to, or you're obligated to, or because I deserve it. No, it's undeserved favor because we don't deserve it. But Christ Jesus does deserve it. So may it be the grace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. He usually begins the letter by saying, writing, grace and peace. Grace and peace in the Hebrew shalom, as you know. Shalom. There's so much to be said about shalom in the Bible. Remember, I did a sermon on this a while back from Isaiah 26. He will keep in perfect peace whose mind is kept on the Lord, on you. And I like that perfect peace. That's how we translate it. That's what our Bibles say, but it literally is shalom, shalom, not perfect shalom, but literally shalom, shalom. That's what peace is. Shalom, shalom. Remember that story? If you were at church that Sunday, you remember, I'm not going to repeat it. (laughs) No one need to. Had to do with Israel and my wife. That's all I'm going to say. It's a touchy subject. Okay. Grace, charis, 
in the Greek. Peace. Shalom. Shalom, if you, if you look up the definition of it, according to Hebrew scholars and Bible commentators, they will tell you, Shalom speaks of a, not just a, a peace um, internally, although absolutely that's there. And that's the most important thing I would think, I would see, say, suggest but it's a shalom for your body, your soul, your spirit, your family, all around you. It's all inclusive. It's shalom, shalom. So, Karis and shalom. Paul begins his letter. But in this instance, he also includes mercy. Um, grace and peace. Okay. It's in that order for a reason in all of his letters. You have to first experience the grace of God before you'll ever have shalom or peace. And I mean, genuine shalom, not temporary shalom, not trivial shalom. I mean, eternal, internal, personal Shalom comes from grace, but in this case, also mercy. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's why this program is called Amazing Grace or otherwise known as Rogue Grace.
Come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. I'm reading from Acts 21, the writing of Luke the physician. And after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles. Through his ministry, and when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands are among the Jews of those who have believed? They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to to our customs. Boom. They're giving it to Paul. James is. And the other disciples, the apostles were. They're saying, oh, we're so glad to hear that you are preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and they're receiving it. Yay. Now let's get down to business. There are many thousands of Jewish Christians who are still circumcising their children, their sons, and are zealous for the law, and they're saying that you're saying no need to have circumcision or the law. And so they then introduce an idea that would be, in many ways, 
fatal to Paul. In order to remedy this little problem we're having, Paul, they said, these James and these Jewish leaders, take four of our guys with you, along with Timothy, to show the community, to show these four guys, and they'll relay it to the rest of us, that Timothy, this guy you're with, is a good Jew. Because then they'll see that he is circumcised, that he is properly in the the rite, in the rituals, in the law of the Jews. Do this. And in my opinion, wrongly Paul did. And it's what landed him in Rome as a prisoner. In my opinion, it was wrong. That doesn't really matter if it was wrong or right, in my opinion. It's what happened. So he goes to the temple in Jerusalem with Timothy and with those four guys, and there he is arrested. A riot breaks out, and he's arrested. Why? He was trying to please James and the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. So, that's what ended him in in prison, if you would. Trying to satisfy the demands of the legalists. In my, that's how I see the text. I'm not trying to put down James and the Jews, and there's probably things I just don't understand being an American 2,000 years later. I'm telling you my conclusion. Trying to please the legalists is what got Paul into prison, and not for preaching the gospel in this case. That's one thing. But for going to the temple... Just for going to the temple. It's such a prison. The temple can be. Church can be. When you're going in order to please people. (laughs) When you're going in order to show that you are a good person. It's such a prison. Paul found that out, and so have I, so have you over the years. It's not, that's why people that live that way and think that way ultimately fall away. They get burnt out. They get tired of the whole thing. They said, yeah, I went to church for eight years or 14 years, and I'm finished. I'm done with it. Because they're going to show people that they're good or they're good Christians. And it ends up being a prison sentence in many ways. You know what? I find myself released from prison when I'm not preaching to please people or preaching in order to get a bigger congregation. That can happen. In fact, it can be a daily uh, inclination in my heart, but I'm free when I'm preaching to glorify Jesus Christ and no longer worried about pleasing people or drawing people for the sake of just getting a bigger 
audience. That's a prison sentence that God sprung me out of, and I hope I never have to go back again. Psalm 51, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love according to your abundant mercy. 
blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from the blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Jesus Christ, our Savior who is the propitiation, the satisfaction, if you would, for our sins, and not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. The blood of Jesus Christ flowed from seven places. The first place he bled from, the blood that poured from his head that day, the blood from the thorns in his skull cleanse you from thoughts, the blood that, that was on his face hey he has covered the things that you may not want to face up to because of what you've seen or heard know this the blood flowed for you yeah but john you you just don't know i I, i've backed away from the lord i've turned my back on him well they took a flagellum and they beat his back and blood flowed from his back it was reduced to hamburger meat that day 
his back was beaten so brutally. And if you've turned your back on him and walked away from him, know this, the blood, the blood that poured from his back cleanses you, sprinkles you. Yeah, but John, you, you just don't know what I've done with these hands. Those hands were pierced. Those hands were pinned to the tree. Spikes driven through those hands where he bled to cleanse you and cleanse me from the stuff that we've handled that we ought not to have handled. The stuff that we've done that we ought not to have done. Hey, understand. The blood flowed from his hand. Yeah, but it's stuff that's inside of me, John. It's just things that I feel in my gut. I have bitterness towards them, and I'm angry with her. Jesus, Jesus wants you to know that blood flowed from his side when they thrust that spear into him when he hung on the cross. Feet. I've walked where I ought not to have walked. Blood flowed from his feet, too. When the spike pinned him through the feet to the cross of Calvary. And now I realize things that I can't face up to. Thoughts that I've had that are not right, not good, not true. Bitterness inside of me. Stuff I've touched that I ought not to touch. Places I've gone where I ought not to have walked. And I look and I realize sevenfold flowing of the blood of Christ cleanses me in every area from all sin and I'm free and I'm forgiven by the blood what can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus seven times perfection seven places that's what he went through for me and for you you just love Jesus, the Savior of the world, the servant of all, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, we could talk about him and think about him as we should all day long. From the moment we wake to the moment we lay our head on the pillow again. Even there, to think about Jesus. That's the way 
to experience the joy of the Lord. The one who touches the leper and cleanses him from leprosy. The one of whom a woman can simply touch the hem of his garment and her hemorrhaging is healed. The one who can walk into the midst of a roving funeral service and touch the dead body of a young man and bring him to life. The one who himself was placed in a tomb, but three days later, the stone was rolled away for he had risen from the dead. That's our Jesus, our Lord and our King. And he is soon coming again. It might even be today. And when he does, he will wipe away every tear. And for many, the last shall be first, even as the first shall be last. And for all, the knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. And when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that he is the Lord, finally, this world, this earth, this planet will find its peace, its true shalom once again. So I know you will agree when I say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And we will be with our loved ones, our brothers, our sisters, who have already gone to be with him. Thanks for tuning in. May the Lord bless your day today. Stay cool. Not just physically, I mean under the cloud of his grace. The shade of his goodness. Come on out tonight for the hour of prayer. A blessed, beautiful time because where two or more are gathered in his name, he is in the center. Thanks for tuning in. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus.